We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Luke chapter 24. It's been said that the cross of Jesus pays the way and the resurrection kind of paves the way. Now, I like what David Guzik said. He said, the cross is the payment for our sins and the resurrection is the receipt. And I thought, well, that's really interesting, you know, because, you know, the Lord has completed this transaction in heaven and, and you kind of wonder, well, is it real? Is it real? Is it real? Am I really forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? When I die, am I really going to heaven? And it's so cool. We have the receipt, so to speak, and that is in the fact that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And we're going to see later that that proves that our, you know, salvation has been completed, that he really did you know, do the work. You know, last week we studied the cross. This week we have kind of an early resurrection celebration, you guys, which uh, is so cool. And not only does the resurrection pave the way for us, because one day we'll be there. One day should the Lord tarry and the rapture doesn't happen. We're all going to die. It could happen any day now. We've got to be ready. It paves the way. We follow our leader, the first fruits of the resurrection. But it also proves the way. Because how do you know, man? You go on the, you know, down the freeway, the streets. You see the bumper stickers. It's the mantra of mankind that all roads lead to heaven. That we coexist, you know. And you can be a good, you know, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Mormon. And, you know, go to heaven and, and, and just be a good person, an atheist, and you'll be fine. God knows my heart. But all those are lies, lies. There's only one way to heaven. And we know that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that what he did when he conquered the coffin and gutted the grave and defeated death, when the source of life, the divine source of life was confronted with human or even an angelic course of death, that life won, the divine source of life won, that the light always dispels the darkness. And that's who Jesus is. He's the light of the world. And we're going to see that today, and this is a glorious truth. We begin reading here in Luke 24 and verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. Here we read the first day of the week, and that would be Sunday, obviously. And this is why we Christians, by the way, celebrate on Sunday, not Saturday. It used to be Saturday. It got changed to Sunday because of this day when Jesus rose from the grave, right? But it was very early, John says, very early, even before the sun rose. And, and I would encourage you, read John chapter 21, read Mark chapter 16, read Matthew chapter 28, and you kind of get the harmony of the Gospels. You see the full picture of what really happened. But you know, there they are, these lovely ladies. They head out towards the tomb even before the sun rises. Mark mentions the fact that they've come to anoint the body of Jesus. And the reason for that is because if you remember when Jesus died, they didn't have enough time due to the honoring of the Sabbath day. They, they, they were there and, and, and they weren't able to complete the process of, you know, the uh, whole thing. 
and so now they come back on Sunday to finish the job right, to honor Jesus, to give him what we would consider, they would consider a decent burial. Now, now these women were the women that followed Jesus from Galilee. And they were probably there when Jesus died. We know they were there when Jesus was buried. As a matter of fact, we read in chapter 23, notice in verse 55, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. You know, Luke even gives us their names. If you go down to verse 10 of chapter 24, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And so you have all these lovely ladies, no men, just ladies. And, uh, you know, just as a quick side note, it's funny how, how faithful the ladies are, huh? I don't know if faithful is, funny is the right word. <laughs> you know, we got 75 ladies signed up for the, the women's retreat. And I think we got like 25 guys. What's up, guys? <laughs> we need to get some of you guys up and out. And, you know, you might spend that 125 or whatever it is on, on something else. But you know what? This is worth it. I would encourage you. I challenge you, men. I, I just want to call you out. Let's go seek God together. It can't just be the ladies leading, you know. But here we see these lovely ladies are doing a wonderful Job, no men, but we read in verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, now this was an issue that they had kind of talked about in Mark chapter 16, verse 3. They were kind of wondering how, how's, how's we're going to move this stone, this big massive two-ton stone from the entrance of the grave. And so we find Matthew tells us that an angel came. He was probably pretty buff and uh, he just, moved the stone out of the way. He sat on the stone. And uh, what we find is that was all taken care of. And he moved the stone, not so Jesus could come out, but so that the ladies can go in, right? Which is what happens. We read in verse 3. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified in the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. We read here in verse 3 that they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Of course they didn't. They would never find the dead body of the Lord Jesus. They can search all of Israel, all of Jerusalem, archaeologically, historically, meticulously. They can serve all, search all the world and they will never find the dead body of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because as the angel says, he is not here. He is risen from the dead. He defeated death. It could not hold him. It was a slight mismatch when you really consider it, man. Like I said earlier, the divine source of life. How could he be conquered by some human or even angelic course of death? There was no way death could hold him. Even the Bible says, it says in Psalm chapter 16, Acts chapter 2, 
Verse 24, the Bible says that in Jesus, the pains of death were loosed because it was not possible that he should be held by it. You see, this is the pure power of Jesus. We read in John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus said, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. And we're going to begin to see like I said earlier, the resurrection, it, it proves the way. The resurrection then paves the way. It proves who Jesus is. I mean, who else could, you know, die and rise again on their own volition, on their own power, on their own authority? I mean, it wasn't Abraham. He died, stayed dead. So Judaism isn't true. It wasn't Muhammad. He died, stayed dead. So Islam's not true. It wasn't Buddha. He died, stayed dead. So Buddhism's not true. Jesus Christ is the only one that died and stayed uh, dead. And then he rose again and he conquered that coffin. And we find in that, you guys, is that this proves to us, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, Christians have faith. Yes, but it's faith founded on fact. It's a reasonable faith that the one we follow is the one who is alive, you know, because of the power that he had. And so, you know, in looking at this, I think we can kind of say, yeah, we kind of knew. I mean, we would know. you got to know that he would win. I read a story about a, a four-year-old little boy who was really proud of his dad. He, he just was so proud of his dad because I, I guess his dad was a very, very successful undertaker and so one day he's there it's a christian uh, church it's easter sunday and they tell him the story about the resurrection of jesus christ and so this little boy this little four-year-old boy he kind of raises his hand and he, and he says wait a minute you mean to tell me that jesus died and he didn't stay dead and the teacher says yeah that's it exactly that's what easter is all about and then the little boy said, well, my daddy must not have been working that day. Because <laughs> if my daddy was working, then he would have stayed dead, right? <laughs> and, you know, we just have to respond to the little boy and say, sorry, little guy, there's no way Jesus was going to stay another day to decay. There's just no way because of who he is, because of the power that he has. The Bible says in Psalm 16:10, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. I'm speaking of David. David's body saw corruption. It was speaking of Jesus. It was a prophecy of the glory of the resurrection. The angel says, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He's not here, for he is risen. Don't you remember how he told you about this? Look again there in verse 6. Remember how he spoke to you? When he was still in Galilee. And I thought that was interesting. I'm like, well, why did the angel tell them that? You know, and, and there's probably a, at least a couple of reasons for that. But I think it, one of the things it does is it kind of puts all the pieces of the puzzle together. You know, it's like, okay, we come to anoint his body. There's no body. There's a couple of glorious angels. And they kind of point us back to what? The word of God. Right? And you put all the pieces of the puzzle together and you realize just the, the, the fact of the resurrection. But I also thought in listening to that, that there's a lesson there for us, you guys. Because, 
You know, we find ourselves down and out and depressed and distressed and freaking out sometimes and just, you know, going through life. And, and you know what? It's, you know, you're just pulling your hair out and you're just, man, why? Why? And a lot of times it is because we have forgotten what he has told us. You know, you come and you come to church or maybe whatever it is, you go whatever the, the ministry event is and you're looking for him to say something maybe today, maybe tomorrow, when in all reality, maybe he's already spoken to you. But a lot of times we forget. I have a feeling that's the way God is. He doesn't wait after the, you know, until after the event to tell you. He would prepare you. You know, but for us, I think we just forget we don't listen, and this is why it's so important for us to always have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, to always be dialed in in a personal and intimate relationship with the Lord. You know, um, God knows your, 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 your address. He knows your number, your cell number. He knows the, the key, has the key to speak to your heart. All of us here individually, but a lot of times we're the reason that we're, you know, in this place that we shouldn't be, you know, afraid and fearful is because we're not listening. When I look at the apostles and the disciples and all those that surrounded Jesus, I have a feeling that there was really only one who was listening, and that was Mary of Bethany. You know, because she was the one that anointed his body for burial before he died. And I noticed that she's not there at the resurrection and she's not there at the cross. She's not worried about that. I, I have a strange feeling that she just listened and she knew the whole story. And, you know, while others were going through this valley that they didn't belong in, she was living on this glorious mountain because she had listened to the Lord. I want to encourage you guys as Christians, as God speaks to you, you write those things down and you hold on to those promises don't be a forgetful hearer. And I encourage you, man, to know how good God is. But it's so cool. The Lord will refresh our memory in order to kind of put everything back together. You know, Warren Wiersbe said how sad it is when God's people forget his word and live defeated lives. For a season, for a second, I pray we would know that. You know, the Lord had told them, if you go back to Luke chapter 9 real quick, we see the Lord had told them in verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, I know a lot of you here don't know Greek. How many you know Greek? No, I'm just joking. Probably most of you don't. You don't know Hebrew. You haven't taken any Bible college classes. And there's even some of you here who aren't saved. <laughs> but you can understand this, right? Read it again. The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. What's so hard to understand about that? But they weren't listening. The Lord had told them. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Matthew chapter 12, he had even told them earlier than that. In Matthew chapter 12, notice here in verse 38, he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign 
of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They were asking for a sign. He said, man, this is the only sign you get. It's the sign of the resurrection. As Jesus died, rose again, and something he had even spoken of even earlier than that. One last passage for now is over in John chapter 2. If you would, let's turn there. Notice what Jesus said in the very beginning of his ministry after he had cleansed the temple. In verse 18, the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But, John says, he was speaking of the temple of his body. You see, the Lord had told them, if only they had listened. You know, it's kind of funny, even the enemies of the Lord knew that Jesus had predicted this. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 63, they went to Pontius Pilate. They asked for a guard to, you know, make sure no one came and stole the body because they said that deceiver, they called him a deceiver. You know, he said he's going to rise in three days. And so to me, it's just rather, you know, ironic. It's weird. It's strange, but it's common. It's common that we as a church oftentimes are not listening to the Lord. And I'm telling you this, man, that God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he will speak to you. And he will prepare you for every situation. We must listen and then stand on his word. Don't be a forgetful hearer. And so here we see the angel refreshes their memory. And then it says that they remembered his words there in verse 8. And so in verse 9 it says, And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. You know, the other Gospels, uh, they say, go and tell. Matthew says, you know, the angel said, go and tell. So that's kind of a real cool summary of the Christian mission. Come and see, go and tell. And the ladies did do just that. They left And they went and they told the apostles and all those that were with them. But unfortunately, they didn't believe. Peter and John did rise up. John tells us that he was part of the running race too. And they did see an empty tomb, but they didn't see Jesus. And so now we begin to just, you know, look at this. And, and, you know, one thing that's real interesting is, is, you know, when you read John's account, okay, they go into the tomb And more than likely, because in those days what they would do literally is they would wrap you up kind of like a mummy. If you were in a cave, which would be a nice tomb, there would actually be shelves there, either hewn into the rock, usually hewn into the rock, and they would have the bodies there. 
And, uh, and literally, they would wait until the bodies decayed, then they would preserve the bones. It's real interesting what they would do in Jewish culture. But, you know, what we find more than likely is that, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, you know, he just kind of like, I don't know what the word is, but he just kind of like evaporated out of his, you know, the linen things that were surrounding him, which is another reason we know why they, they didn't steal the body. Because if you stole the body, you wouldn't unwrap the body, Right. I mean, you know, that would be silly. You would just take the whole body. Anyways, Jesus just kind of like went through the linen cloths. And so you can visualize it there, kind of like uh, with, you know, air just kind of lying there. And so when Peter and John came in, you know, Peter went in and it says he marveled. But you want to know what it says in the book of John? That he went in and believed. He believed. He didn't need to see Jesus. He had enough evidence to believe at that point. And the thing that's so cool about that, and to me as I'm going through this whole thing and I'm realizing more and more in life how important faith is. And when I look at John and I see the way he wrote the Gospel of John, he wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote first, second, and third John, he hung around, he was such a major impact on the church. I see now, and I'm beginning to see now, that it's, it's his faith that he had. His faith that he had in his risen lord you know and 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 you know i'm i'm blessed by john and of course the other apostles we know they did wonderful things as well but here we are you guys and man we're living in some crazy days i mean we're living in days where man options for president i mean you know what what's going to happen you know i i don't know man there's this we got to pray hard right What's going to happen? If those of you who have children, okay, what kind of generation is rising up? And what kind of world are we going to leave to our children? I mean, 5, 10, 15 years down the road, unless somebody rises up, unless a church wakes up, unless we begin to live a life of faith. You know, I just don't see any hope for our country unless the church is awakened from their slumber. You know, I was thinking, because this last Thursday we went over the life of David and, you know, the whole story of him and Goliath and David and Goliath. And you guys know that story and you're thinking, oh, that's for the kids. No, it's not. It's for you. It's for me. Because when I see Goliath there, 40 days presenting himself, 9 feet, 9 inches tall, 125 pounds of, you know, this coat of mail and this spear with a 25-pound spearhead and an armor bearer in front of him. He's covered from head to toe in brass. And, and there he is every day defying the armor armies of the living God every single day, bringing reproach to God, going against the people of God, the plans of God. And there are the soldiers of God's army sitting on the sidelines, doing nothing, saying, oh, we're waiting on the Lord. You're not waiting on the Lord. You know, and the Lord sees through all our Christian cliches. And God is just waiting. Where's a man of God? Goliath says, give me a man of God. Give me a man from among you. And there's no man amongst God's army. And so they have to go to the sheepfold and grab a young guy who's not even old enough to be part of the army. And he steps in and he steps up and he slays Goliath. And I look at that and I see, Lord, you know, it's a many, in many ways, and I, and I know each of you, you have your own walk with the Lord, and I know some of you are in love with Jesus, but I also know that many of you aren't. 
And, and, and the Lord loves you so much. And though, you know, you're young and you're, you know, whatever, you're just over there doing whatever it is, God can use your life. It's just, it's just that, that, that faith. God, you can do it. God, you're alive. I'm nothing in front of this giant, but, you know, I don't come with sword or spear or javelin. I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. I come in his name. And I don't have a lot. I got a slingshot, but it's okay. I don't need anything else because I've got the Lord. And, 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 you know, we get caught up in, in what? In our own life. Our own life. Your own life. And it's cool. You know what? Take care of, take, take care of things, man. You know, put food on the table, clothes on your back, you know, put a roof over your head. Take care of those things. But what's God called you to do? We had to take care of our family first, yes, but there are gifts and there are things in the kingdom of God. And there are marching orders that God gives to us that, that we need to follow. All I know is this, man, that unless something happens soon, and it can be you, it can be me, I just pray that it would. Because it's this faith in what the Lord has done and who the Lord is that will make us someone like a John who doesn't need to see a whole lot. I just see some linen cloth lying there. That's enough for me, I believe. You see, that's who he is. And what we find is that John took this all in. Peter, it says right here, was just kind of marveling. He was tripping out. And you know, when you look at the historical evidence of the resurrection, it shouldn't be difficult to believe. There are tens of thousands of manuscripts it are written of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's etched in history. It's not an act. It's a fact in history. First Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that there were many witnesses. Even 500 people saw him at the same time. First Corinthians was written 24 years after the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So for 24 years, hundreds of people were witnessing to the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. I mean, it's just a fact in history. For us, I think it's cool to know that we as Christians, we aren't, you know, individuals who have a faith based on no facts. We are a very reasonable people. And as the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, come and let us reason. Who are you going to follow? I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. Because of what he did. Because of the way that he defeated death. And this has to be something that happens in a general sense. You look at all the objective evidence. And by the way, we are responsible. Jesus expects us to believe in the resurrection and who he is based on the objective evidence. As a matter of fact, uh, those who didn't believe the testimony, he later, we're going to see next week, Lord willing, he calls them foolish, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have shared. And even later, when he appears to his apostles, we're going to see that night he rebukes their unbelief. He expects us to believe based on the objective evidence. But I think it's also cool that he gives us a subjective experience. You know, one of the other reasons that I know Jesus is alive is because I know him. I have a personal relationship with him. When I gave my heart to Christ and I was addicted to drugs, I was way out there, I was just dying, I had no hope to make it, I met him. 
He came into my life. He's real. That's how I know he's alive. Because he lives in me. I live with him. Right? He gives us that power. You know, the world says, let me see and then I'll believe. But the Bible says, no, believe. And then you'll see. And that's what happens. And that's the living, loving Lord that we have a relationship with. You know, this whole resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus died, he was put in a grave, he rose again. And when we place our faith in him and what he's done, this is the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. And there are ramifications of this resurrection that I want to give with you as we close today. Just four simple things that we see show us the explicit ramifications of the resurrection. Number one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ affirms to us that he is indeed the Son of God, just as he claimed to be. Watch, go over to Romans chapter 1. In verse 1, we read, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. There's Jesus' human nature. And verse 4, And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. And so we know he's God because of the fact that he died and rose again. He said he was going to do it in his own volition, his own power. It proved who he was. I learned in the second service that there was this guy named Houdini. None of you were alive at that time, right? Okay, that was like early 1900s. Anyways, he said, I'm going to come back. You know, and this guy, I mean, he was crazy. I wouldn't be surprised if he had some demonic help, man. You know, but he said, I'll be back. He didn't, he didn't come back, right? Because he didn't have the powers because of who he was. He was just a man. But Jesus proves who he was, the Son of God, God the Son. And, and just even as a quick side note, he proves everything he said he was. He proved that he is the Lord. He proved that he is the King. He proved that he is God. He proved that he is the Savior. He proved that he's the bread of life. He proved that he's the door. He proved that he's the shepherd. He proved that he's the king. He proved everything he said he was. And you can enter into all those relationship titles and be blessed. You know, I could tell you that I play for the Lakers, right? <laughs> and... um you know, it probably would take a little bit more proof, huh? <laughs> I am tall, but other than that, <laughs> what proof do you have, right? And he, and, he, and he backed it up. I'm God. And he backed it up. It proves who he is. Secondly, it proves that his sacrifice for sin has been accepted and that the work of salvation has been completed. Watch, go over to Romans chapter 4. There in verse 24, it says in verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because 
of our justification. You see, it's real, real, like kind of like a technical thing, you know, in a spiritual sense. He was delivered up because of our offenses, but he was raised up. There's the resurrection. He was raised because of our justification. And what that means right there is it, it, it proves to us that the Father accepted his sacrifice on our behalf, that when all our sins and all our hope and all our life was placed on him, and he went into the holiest of holies, and he presented his blood for us, the resurrection proves that it was acceptable in the sight of the Father. You see, we're justified. If you've placed your simple faith in Jesus Christ, just turn from your sin and you trusted in him. Even though we're, you know, we're knuckleheads, you know, and we are, you know, and I don't come and I don't preach and I don't live in my own righteousness because if I did, I wouldn't be able to go anywhere or do anything. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Never come to a point in your Christian life where you think it's because you're so good that God owes you something. Because if you start dealing with God based upon your own righteousness for a day or a week or whatever the case may be, oh, I've been doing pretty good lately, you know what? You're in big trouble. We can only come in the righteousness of Christ. And the Bible says that when he died for our sins, he was you know, delivered up for our offenses, but then he was raised up for our justification to prove that the Father had accepted. Like I said earlier, you know, the cross is the payment, the resurrection is the receipt. Every once in a while, I buy something online and you send it out there and it goes out into cyberspace, right? And you wonder, I wonder if it ever happened. I wonder if, you know, if this is going to happen, you know. But what do they do? They send you a confirmation email, right? And that's exactly kind of what the resurrection is. It's that, it's that, you know, it's a done deal. There in the holy, holy, holy court of God, we are, you are, I am legally declared righteous in his sight. It's a transaction there before the holy judge. And now, you know, even though I blow it and I don't want to blow it and I'm not making light of sin and I pray you would hate sin. But even though I do, the day doesn't go by when I don't sin. I know I'm forgiven because it's based on what Jesus has done. He rose from the dead to prove it. The Bible says he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God in him. And what that basically means is that the father treated the son as if he lived your life. But now he treats you as if you lived his life. Justified. Just as if you'd never sinned. That's what the Resurrection tells us. It tells us who God is. It tells us that we have been accepted in this whole work of salvation. Thirdly, it tells us that those who trust him can walk in newness of life. Because he is alive and imparts his power to them. And this is cool. If you go over to Romans chapter 6, 
Notice what it says in verse 1. What shall we say that then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, certainly not. Perish the thought. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know? And a lot of times, you know what? The reason we sin, and I, and I don't want to sound um, demeaning. This is just a, a word. The reason we sin is because we're ignorant. <laughs> Ignorant, and, and he says, "Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were baptized with Him through baptism and death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life." And, and in the Greek, and again, I don't, not a Greek expert. I, I met a man once. He was a Greek expert, Dwight Pentecost, brilliant man. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, you know what this is in the Greek, son? This is that you have been co-crucified with Christ and you are co-resurrected with Christ. It's not something that you hope for. It's a reality in life. That, you know, we have been nailed to the cross. The old man is dead. And what we find is that the new man is there and, and that the same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead, that power lives in you. That power lives in me. So that we should not just go to church on Sundays, put on a show in front of the religious people, but that we should walk in newness of life, this is what the resurrection proves. I pray we would know that. The last thing is this. Our Lord's resurrection declares to us that he is the judge who will one day come and judge the world. And for that, we go over to the book of Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, notice what we read here in verse 30. It says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Is it going to happen? Will it ever happen? Will God ever judge the world? Will there ever be justice? And you're wondering. Oh, you don't have to wonder any longer. The Bible says right here in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, that he has ordained this. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I beg of you. Give your life to Him. It's a gift He wants to give you. All you have to do is turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Give Him your heart. So that one day when you stand before God, and, and you will, you will stand before God. You will stand in righteousness. Not only that, for us as Christians, we'll stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema Seat going to happen. It's a done deal. Everyone must appear before that Bema seat judgment and the motives of our heart and the faithfulness of whatever it is that we are called to do will be judged by God and all our works will go into the fire. 
For some, unfortunately, it's wood, hand, stubble. Others, it's precious stones. It will be tested by the fire. And whatever comes out will be our reward. And our reward will then either bring glory to God or 1 John 2.28 says, shame to you. And so we got to be ready. Let's get ready for that day. Not only that, the whole wide world. You know, you look around, a lot of people wonder, how can God allow this to carry on? All the atrocities, all the blasphemies that are going on in this world. But we know that one day God will judge the world. He says, I promise you, don't worry, son. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of all those things and every evil will be dealt with. Every single one. Every wrong will be made right one day. How do we know? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And what we have, you guys, in looking at these things right here is a wonderful illustration of the life that we have. You know, the resurrection, it, it, it proves the way, and the resurrection, it, it paves the way. I'll be honest with you, man. You know, I, I, sometimes, you know, when I'm just with the Lord and just thinking about life, and, you know, we go through our struggles, and, you know, I do. I don't know about you, but I, I do. Sometimes, man, I don't know if it's the enemy or, or what or just my failures. But I just, sometimes I just want to go home. Not that I'm suicidal. Don't get me wrong or anything. But heaven is, a, is, is not just a destination. It's a motivation. I can't wait until I see my Jesus. I can't wait until I don't have to deal with sin anymore. But I know until then we've got a race to run and we've got to finish right? But when you think about that, you know, for us, it's so cool because we don't have to worry. The sting of death has been taken away. First Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, how many of you here are afraid of bees? Just out of curiosity. So a bee comes in and you're like, I'm out of here, man. <laughs> you know, but imagine if you knew for sure, if you knew for sure that that bee didn't have a stinger. Wouldn't you say, oh, come here, mijo. You know, get the little bee right there. And you'd be like, I've always wanted to see one of you little guys up close, you know? Why? Because now the sting, the sting has been taken away. You know, so we could just use, you know, it could be a scorpion, it could be a tarantula, it could be a spider, it could be a snake, in which in one sense it was a snake. And the venom is gone. There's no more fear of death. And we look forward to it now. Why? Because we're fish out of water. We're not home yet. One day we'll be home, and I know I'll be home. I have no, you know, no doubt that when I die, I'll be home. Because he conquered the coffin. He gutted the grave. He defeated death. And he proves the way, and he paves the way. And we got to know that. You know, I remember uh, Calvary Chapel. A lot of times when we do funerals, I'll be honest with you, you've you got to get ready for this, or if you want to, you can get something different. But most of the, the funerals that we do, they're real nice. They're real nice. They're real sweet. You know, they're real mellow. You know, it's all real pretty. And, of course, we know that we have to be considerate because many are grieving. But, you know, even, you know, when they're believers, it's, it's kind of like the same thing. And I remember one time after a funeral was done, someone from a different denomination, they came up to me and they said, hey, was this person a believer? And they're all, they're all yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, you know what? They were a believer. And so this individual said to me, he said, then why were you guys so sad? <laughs> 
When we do funerals, he's all, we party when we know they're a believer. There's a celebration going on. Why? Because of the confidence. And I, you know, one day, I don't know, maybe it'll change for us, man, but we can just rejoice because he has gone before us. There's no doubt. And I remember reading a story by Max Lucado in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, about a missionary, true story, in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. Uh, they lived near a river, and this tribe was in desperate need of medical attention. Apparently a contagious disease had spread through the population, and people were dying every single day. And so the missionary went, and he discovered that there was a hospital not too far, just across the river. But the problem was the Indians would not cross the river because they believed the river was inhabited by evil spirits, and if they were to enter into the water, it would mean certain death. And so the missionary, you know, tried to speak to them and tell them the river's harmless, come with me, cross the river to this place of healing, to this place of life. But... They wouldn't cross. And so he put his hand in the water. They still wouldn't go in. He walked into the water up to his waist, splashed it on his face. It didn't matter. They were still afraid and unwilling to enter into the river. And so finally what he did is he just dove in. He dove into the river and he swam all the way across to the other side. And when he got on the other side, he lifted up his arm in triumph. And as he did, You know, for the first time, you know, faith was mustered up and these tribesmen began to believe and celebrate and rejoice. And they said, you know what, we can go in and follow him across. And you know, in one sense, isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, he entered the river of death and came out on the other side so that we might no longer fear death, but find healing and life in him and follow him. All the way home. What does the Bible say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, what we see is that the victory of Jesus, it leads to victory in Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing victory on our behalf. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that, that, that believe in you, that love you from the heart. Work in our lives, Lord God, in such a way that we would not only evangelize the world and edify the church, but we would exalt you. We would exalt you, God. And Father, I pray that Lord, you would just awaken us and light a fire within us to go into the highways and byways and valleys and alleys because we've already come and seed. Now we've got to go and speak and tell it on the mountains that Jesus is alive. And Father, I pray if there are any here today who don't know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that right where they are in their seats, right here, right now, they would give their life to you. Only you can save, only you. Pray that you would. And just as every head is bowed and everyone's just praying, if you're here today and you want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, 
Right where you are, I just want you to say a simple prayer. And you say it in your heart. You can speak it out loud if you want to, but the main thing is is that you've got to speak to God. If you're serious, if you want life, if you want freedom, if you want forgiveness, it's a simple prayer. You just pray to God something like this. Lord, I come to you today and I need you. Lord, I pray that you would help me, forgive me, cleanse me. And Lord, wash me. Write my name in the book of life. Because Lord, today I turn from my sins. And I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. 